0: The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Our scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 142. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. If you need one, there are some Bibles scattered underneath the chairs. You're free to grab one. It will also be on the screen behind me. Psalm 142. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. And the path where I walk, they've hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see. There is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion, and the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me for you will deal bountifully with me. This has been the reading of God's word. You may be seated. So King David was one of the most famous men in the history of the world. Think about it. Uh, King David is one of the primary figures of both Judaism and Christianity he 's incredibly famous. He became the most famous king in the history of Israel. He became the, the gold standard for the kings of Israel. In fact, nobody after him would have be been able to live up to that standard, but he didn 't begin that way. He began as the youngest member of the of a family in the lowest tribe in Israel. He was nobody in fact uh, whenever uh, the prophet was going to find uh, the replacement for the king of the time, King Saul, he ended up coming to his father, David's father's Jesse's house, and they, Jesse brought all his sons to him, and he overlooked David. He's like, it can't be him that you're looking for. David was hanging out with the sheep, and in fact, later on, whenever his, uh, his brothers are out fighting the war, which is a very... Uh, they're at the battlefront, which is a very uh, th- uh, high thing of honor for them, when they're out on the battlefront, David is home taking care of the stinky sheep. He was the lowest member of one of the lowest families in the lowest tribe in Israel. He was not destined that he was going to end up being a great man or one of the uh, most famous people in history. Uh, and, but yet he would go on, we know the story that most of us, at least if you don't know much about the Bible, you know that David is going to end up you know, facing Goliath and he's going to fail. Goliath, he's gonna, you know, get the whole slingshot, right? You guys know the song. Anybody grow up in in Sunday school? Yeah. Five little stones he took, and in the sling, and then he's, yeah, and then they hit him in the head, he's down, then he cuts his head off, because there's, was, David was a poet, which we're going to see in a minute, but David had this little kind of mean streak, and he wasn't, he's was going to actually not cut this man's head off. He becomes a, a, a warrior, and leads people into battle, and he wins victories for the king, for Israel, and he serves his king valiantly, and he serves him Faithfully. All this that was thrust upon David, he never saw it coming. He was just a shepherd boy in a poor, uh, fairly poor family and a poor tribe in Israel. And yet, for in return for his, his heroics of facing Goliath down and felling him and cutting off his head and him serving faithfully as a commander under the leadership of King Saul and serving his king and serving his country and winning battles, yet Saul, the king of the time, begins to get a little bit jealous, not just a little bit jealous, he gets a lot jealous of David. And he starts to pursue David. And he, in fact, well, before he even pursues him, he has David at his house a couple of times and he tries to throw a spear at David while they're sitting down to eat and just misses him. And there's a, another meal they're having, and he expects David to come, and he's going to, he plans on killing David. Now, David's friends, his best friend, was Saul's son, Jonathan. And Jonathan, David's late coming to the deal, and he's afraid that Saul is going to be angry with him. And so he sets up this whole deal we won't get into with, for Jonathan to be able to figure out, is your dad really angry with me, is he going to try to kill me? And it comes out that yes he is going to try to kill David. And so Jonathan warns David and there's this heartwarming like, scene where they're out in the field and they cry. they're, they're crying and they depart his dad, Jonathan's dad, is once David dead. And David runs, and he runs to this uh, uh, little, small little kingdom called Gath, and he thinks he's going to find safety there. But whenever he gets there, then the, the servants of the king say, hey, isn't this David who's going to be king of Israel? And he's, they sing songs about him, that he's slain ten thousands, And the king gets a little bit nervous, and David becomes afraid, like the king is going to kill him. And so David has to pretend like he's insane. It says that he let spittle run down his beard, and he's carving things into walls, and he's acting like he's crazy in order so that the king won't feel threatened by him and will let him go. And so David gets out of that place, and he runs, and now he's hiding in a cave. This David, who was happy at the time being a shepherd, watching the sheep for his dad, the Prophet Samuel comes, anoints him king, then he faces Samuel, he takes people into battle and he's serving the king and now the king's turn against him and he can't find safety and he's now hiding for his life alone in a dark, dirty cave. David was not only a warrior, but he was a songwriter, he was a poet. And we have two songs or two poems that he writes there in the cave, hiding away from Saul, all alone, all alone at first. And he writes Psalm 57 and he writes Psalm 142. And the interesting thing about that, both of these psalms that he writes while hiding in the cave is that they're two very different songs a Psalm 57 is a song of, of like, it's acknowledging that there's trouble, but it's like a man who's ready for battle. He's like, we will conquer, and God will conquer the foe, and it's, they're going to run, and they're going to be cut into pieces, and we're going to rush over them, and they're going to wish they were never born. I'm paraphrasing. They're, they're going to wish they were never born. We're going to run all over them. We're going to, this, it looks dark now, but we are going to conquer them. It's going to be Amazing. It's a song of victory, it's a song of passion, a song of excitement, sort of like bring it on kind of song. Charles likes uh, wrestling, which is a very interesting thing. If you don't know Charles very, if you know Charles at all, you know that he likes wrestling because he's going to throw that into the first or second conversation. But if you, do, don't, if you know him from afar, you wouldn't expect him. Like he looks like, you know, millennial and the skinny jeans and the whole thing. Like you wouldn't think like he's into wrestling and he's really into wrestling. He loves like the, the opening songs and they're talking trash to each other. Like, like he, he loves all that. And that's what David's doing in Psalm 57. He's like, bring it on. I'm gonna hit you upside the head with a chair. But Psalm 142 is very different. Psalm 142 is is the melancholy song of a songwriter who's saying, I am surrounded by trouble and nobody cares, nobody knows, I'm all alone, I'm homeless, I'm helpless, I'm hopeless. God, where in the world are you? And the beautiful thing about both those Psalms, written in the same time period in the same cave, is that it gives us a picture of what it's like to be a person or a man of faith. To be a man of faith or a person of faith is not where you're always like smiley and shiny and bring it on. Some days, some days don't we all have like life just really stinks today? Some days I'm like, "I can conquer life. I walk like, to my car and I walk into work, and I'm like, "Bring on the day. I am ready, And some days I wake up, and it is wrong from the beginning. Or something happens. I get an email from a client. They're bothered about something, and now I'm worried, are they going to pull their business, or are we going to be able to pay our employees if that happens? What's going to happen? There's dark days, and there's days of light, but there's days of both for the person of faith. But the question is what do you do when you're in the darkness? And what do you do when the darkness just won't seem to lift? What do you do when it seems like the sun is just never going to come up on your sorrow and your sadness? What do you do when you're stuck in your own personal crisis, your very personal darkness, and it seems like you're in a dead end? The season leading up to Easter is called Lent, and it's designed for each of us to own our personal darkness. The man who would become King David is gonna help us with that this morning. We're going to sit with David in the cave of Adullam as he sings Psalm 142. And as we do that, I'm not going to sing, I promise you. Jamin says I'm a very passionate singer. I feel like he, that's a compliment. I'm not 100% sure that's what he means. And what we're going to hear is we're going to hear a cry of despair we're gonna hear a cry for safety, and we're gonna hear a cry of hope. We're gonna hear a cry of despair, a cry for safety, and a cry of hope. First of all, a cry of despair. So David is all alone. His best friend he's now separated from, and his, his best friend's father wants to kill him. His family's not around. His friends are not around. He is utterly alone, hiding in a cave. He's homeless. The king, the most powerful man in the country, is trying to hunt him down to kill him. Things are hopeless. And understandably, he's full of despair. Let's let's hear it in and the song that he writes while hiding in the cave. Look at, let's look at verse one through four, Psalm 142. Hear the wording. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. He's surrounded by darkness. He's homeless. He's full of despair, and there's no help seemingly coming for him, and while he's there in the darkness, he says, I cry out to the Lord with my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. Now, isn't that interesting? Like, uh, we we say, like, nobody likes a complainer, But he's saying he's complaining to the Lord. He's he's expressing his troubles, his troubled heart, his troubled emotions. He's laying out exactly before God, God, this is where I am. This is what is going on. And he's asking, and built within that, he's asking, God, where are you? What are you doing? Have you ever felt that way? Maybe you feel that way this morning. Maybe life is not working out or has not worked out like you hoped. Maybe you have made bad decisions that seem like you have set yourself up in a place of darkness and is a dead end. Maybe people have done things to you. Maybe uh, economically, maybe it's health. Whatever the case would be for you, maybe this morning or maybe sometime you have been in a place of darkness and despair where you're crying out in your heart like the question kept running through your mind and heart. It's interesting that this is, a Question that runs through the hearts of both believers and non-believers. Whenever your things are really dark, when things are really desperate, the thing that we're angry about is we're angry with God. God, why are you allowing this? And what are you doing? And David cries out in honesty: I pour out my complaint. Before him, can you imagine him writing this song and the things that he must be muttering to himself in this dark cave as he's hiding away that he would be expressing to God, I tell my trouble before him when my spirit faints within me. Have you ever felt that way? Like, you're alive and you're breathing, you're walking around, you're living life, but it's like your spirit within you is fainting. Like you're just a shell of yourself. The joy and the zest that you're used to having or you kind of remember having in life seems to be zapped and gone. David was there. David says in verse four. There is none who takes notice of me. He feels invisible. More than that, he feels like no one really cares. It's one thing to feel invisible. I think all of us at sometimes feel that way around people. But it's another thing to be around people and to feel like they're looking, they see you, but they're looking right past you because just they just don't care about what's going on. Sometimes it's the people who's closest to us who can't seem to understand what we're thinking and what we're feeling, and it makes that gulf between us and them seem even further because the people who should love us and do love us can't seem to understand or don't seem to even be trying to understand. When you feel like this, it can be brought on by tough circumstances, it can be brought on by bad news, it can be brought on by broken relationships, it can be brought on by health issues. But sometimes, even scarier is that the darkness can be brought on for seemingly no reason at all. Like things are going seemingly okay, so why do I feel so terrible? It's it's sadness, but it's beyond sadness. It's a fainting of the soul. And some of us, we can't help but show it, right? Like it's all over us. We don't have a good poker face. But some of us, for personality or because of our job or our family or our reputation, we don't feel that we can and so we put on a face that looks okay. And the people that we work with and are around who think they know us have no idea of the inner sadness and darkness and turmoil that we have going on inside us. Anxiety disorders affect 40 million adults in the US. Forty million. That's 18% of our population, one in five almost, are affected by an anxiety disorder. Uh, Major depressive disorder is the leading, listen to this, is the leading cause of disability between ages 15 and 44 in the United States. There are 16.1 million adults, 6.7% of the population in our country that are affected by major depressive disorder. Persistent depressive disorder is depression that lasts two years or longer. And there are 3.3 million Americans who suffer from that. That's 1.5% of us. And that's one of the beauties of the Psalms is that Psalms like this that are called Psalms of Lament are passionate expressions of grief or sorrow. And it says that it's a part of the Christian life whenever you're feeling grief and sorrow and you're deep in your own very personal darkness. Because each of us, it's a very personal darkness. Other people can't quite understand the darkness that you are walking through or that I might be walking through because it's very personal to us. When we try to explain it, it almost kind of cheapens it sometimes, doesn't it? Because it just can't be explained clearly to somebody who's viewing it from the outside. Our own very personal darkness, the Psalms, let us own that and express those to God. Here's the great truth for you this morning. One of the great truths to you this morning is that you don't have to fake it with God. You don't have to come to God with a smiley face and a, and a shining expression like everything's okay. Because you know what? He already knows it's not. It's no news to him for you to express that to him. It's just you trying to fake it to yourself, really mostly, or to other people. The other truth is you don't have to And you should not have to fake it with Christians because we as believers should own that no one is or should be perfect, should expect to be perfect. No one is or should expect to be happy and shiny all the time. We rejoice with those who rejoice, but yet we weep with those who weep. You can and you should freely express to God your complaints, your troubles, your emotions. Hear the wording that he says he cries out, he pleads, he pours out his complaint. Listen to the the language that's in there. He is putting it out there for God who knows. You can express to God with no filter your very personal darkness. Because in the middle of our own very personal darkness, it can feel incredibly dark. For David and for the believer, there's underlying in the darkness when it feels like everyone is 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 gone, no one's looking at me, no one cares, They're, and I'm not even sure if God is there or if he cares in, in my head, yet somewhere in my heart, I plead and pour out my case before him because underneath the darkness is a somehow a bedrock faith and assurance that God is there and that he cares, even if it feels like he's a million miles away. And so you can feel free to express that sorrow and that care. We have a pastor friend in Charlotte and he calls this struggling well as Christians. We should own as Christians that we're going to struggle. Let's just decide to do our best to struggle well. When the darkness is filling in around me and over me and it seems to cover my eyes and I feel all alone. Let's struggle. Let's pour out our complaints. Let's pour out our emotions. Let's express them to God and let's struggle well. We see David... Lift up a cry of despair, but then we see him lift up a cry for safety. Here, verses five and six. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong. Listen to the wording he says. He says, I say, I cry to you, God. I say, you are my refuge, uh, my safe place, my strong place. That's what a refuge is. It's a safe place and a strong place. I say that you are my safe place. You are my strong place. I am brought low. My persecutors are coming in. And so I cry to you in verse six, deliver me. Where do we take our very personal darkness, where do we take it? Because doesn't it feel so painful when you're, in, when you're in the darkness? Doesn't it feel like tender? Why don't we get embarrassed about it? Like I'm really embarrassed to tell people I'm struggling with this right now. Uh, they might look at me and say your life is good what's what could be wrong or they might say something to me like that's going to infuriate me and say just be happy or decide to be okay jesus loves you so feel happy and you just want to punch him in the face maybe you feel exposed when you're in the darkness and to express it you feel like a turtle without a shell like I'm exposed and I'm helpless I have no way to shield myself or to protect myself I'm helpless and if I exp- and I've had this very tender very painful state of mind and heart if I share that with people I'm gonna be open for them to just pile on and I don't know if I can handle that. You might feel exposed, or defenseless, or you might feel buried. People who deal with depression, who aren't depressed, or are going through a period of sadness often have this sense of feeling like they're buried or they're drowning, like, like heaps of dirt or you're underwater and you can't catch your breath. You can, you can remember what it's like to be among the land of the living, but it seems like a distant memory, like another lifetime. You can remember what it's like to smile and laugh freely, but it feels like you're another person, and you have no idea how do I get back to that. And you have a fear in that moment that maybe I never will. There's not just a cloud between you and other people, it's like a solid wall between you and them. And it's it's a weird kind of wall in that they can see you, but they look fuzzy and far away to you. And what you might try to say to them and what they might try to say to you just doesn't seem to it's like it just gets dampened in between. You feel alone. You think, no one has ever felt this before. Or if they have, I don't know who it is. And who can relate? Because again, it's our own very personal sadness. Who can relate? Who can understand? Who can know? Maybe you feel like, I just don't work right, like my wiring is wrong, like I'm defective, and you feel shameful and embarrassed about that, and you wonder, can I ever be fixed? When when we feel those emotions and we think those thoughts in our very own personal sadness, what we're doing is we're crying out for a safe place. We're crying out for safety, we're asking, is, is there anyone or anywhere that I can go that I can find a peace and a contentedness and a happiness again? And it's there and in that cave, in that darkness, that David sings, I cry to you, O Lord, I say, You are my refuge. You are my safe place. You feel perhaps far away from me, but I know that in you and with you is safety. Because where we get thrown off is when in our personal darkness, when we look for safety in other places. We look at safety, and so we try to use substances that will make, let us not think and feel anymore. We pursue romantic relationships because, uh, at, at least for a moment, that, that sense of, of pleasure drowns out the other feelings of darkness and sadness that I have. We look for anything, entertainment, anything to distract me, to, to, to dull me, to, and I find some sort of safety in there, but we know it's temporary and it doesn't last and it doesn't actually feel the problem. So in the middle of our sadness and darkness, we have to own, not in a glib way, but to own to say that I confess and know that there is no safety anywhere other than you, oh God. And perhaps you're here this morning and what you're crying out for in your soul is that you're crying out for a literal safety. People who love you or, sh- or, or should love you and should be the closest to you are the people who have betrayed you or are betraying you and using you in some way. And I have two truths just as sort of a, an aside, it's not really an aside, it's, but number one, God is there for you and he will be your safety, but please see Jonathan or me before you leave. If you're in a state of physical, emotional or mental abuse of some sort, please see Jonathan in the plaid there or me before you go. You don't have to be there alone. But maybe it's not something that's going on now, maybe it's something for you that happened months ago or years ago, but it still haunts you, like it, you can never escape from it. it, you can't shake it, you never feel, since that happened, that event happened, you've never felt safe, you've never felt Okay. Since that event happened, it's haunted you in your mind and your soul. You, you, you feel like you've lost something that can never be regained again. And if you're in that situation, where do you go? We need to cry out with, with David for safety. We need, because we need someone who who is powerful to help deliver us and save us and make us safe out of our darkness and out of our struggle. And yet, we need that person also to understand. And it's rare to find that combination, isn't it? Like the powerful seem to not understand, and yet the people who understand don't seem to be powerful enough to help us. But look at who David was crying out to. 500 years or so after, after David pinned this in the cave, David's heir would be in a garden, alone, in darkness, in sadness, in such a deep sadness that it says that he cried, as it were, tears of blood. David's heir would cry out, hanging on a cross, Why have you forsaken me, God? As the sky went dark, and he was not just alone, but he was profoundly alone. No man, no God, utterly and profoundly alone, he would cry out. In the garden, Jesus poured out his lament and his complaint to the Father. He said, if there can be any other way, please, please let this cup pass from me. His best friends that he called to pray with him had fallen asleep. Incredibly dark and profoundly alone, Yet the Bible tells us that he had, Jesus had a great promise to trust in. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and despised the shame. Jesus was hopeless, so we wouldn't have to be. Jesus was alone, so we never would be. Behold, I am with you always till the end of the age. Till the sun burns out and the mountains crumble and the seas dry up, I am with you. And this isn't some, again, cheap, glib, light statement. Jesus loves you, so feel happy. It's more profoundly deeper than that. The news is that Jesus joined in with your sadness. Jesus joined in with your mourning. Jesus joined in with your pain. He joined in with your depression, with your disappointment, with your loneliness, with your despair. With your very personal darkness, he joined you there. And he knows. He knows. Hebrews 2, 17, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. That means that the one who stands between man and God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. He might become a merciful and faithful high priest. That's why he became a human. Let that wash over you this morning. Jesus was sorrowful even to the point of death. He was moved greatly and he was troubled in his life. He wept. He was a man of sorrows and well acquainted with grief. A great theologian said that Christ has put on our feelings as well as our flesh. Christ put on our feelings as well as our flesh. He knows. And because he knows and he understands, he's safe. He's the refuge for you to go to. He became a human to be your refuge. That's what his coming was all about. It's what his suffering and death was all about, that he came to join each of us in our own very personal and profound darkness. We see David's cry of despair, we see a cry for safety, and then we see, lastly, a cry of hope. See, the truth is that Jesus isn't just safe, but he's strong. He's not just safe, he's strong. That's what Easter is all about. His suffering and his death is about the fact that he is safe and he understands our suffering and our weakness. But his resurrection is about his conquering death and his promise that through him, each person who trusts and believes in him will conquer death by his work on our Behalf. That's why looking ahead, why David could end the psalm of great personal darkness and sadness when he says, bring me out of prison that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me for you will deal bountifully With me. He knows, and you can know that God will deal bountifully with you as a believer because He dealt bountifully with His Son who died on your behalf and rose again so that you might rise again as well. The fact that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father is your bedrock truth in your darkness that he will deal bountifully with you. Jesus is the reason that David can own his darkness. He's looking ahead to Christ He says in verse five, you are my refuge, my portion. In doing so, he's saying that he belongs to the Lord, not to himself. He's saying, I am not my own. You are my refuge. You alone are my portion. That word portion means my prize or my share of the booty. I don't mean booty in that way. I mean like booty as in like the pirate's chest kind of booty. Like like Jesus is my share of the prize. He is my prize. And that's enough. I have no other portion, no other prize, no other possession, no other refuge, no other place of safety than in you. Below the darkness, and we can own our darkness, but below that darkness is a hope for the believer. A hope that burns regardless of our personal state. And if you don't have that kind of hope, you can have that this morning. If you confess with David, you alone, Jesus, you are my portion, you are my prize, you are my refuge. I turn away from myself running my own life and I bow my knee to you as Lord and I accept your sacrifice on my behalf as my savior. Then you can have that kind of deep hope. And if you are a believer, And here's some really good news. That hope lies within you, planted by the Holy Spirit. You don't have to stir it up. You don't have to make it up. You don't have to fake it. It is there. You can simply own your personal, very personal sadness and darkness with the Lord. Confess it and pour it out to him. Confess it, bring in another believer and confess it to them as well and help let them hold your arms up when they're sagging and weak. Just as David's friends and family would end up joining him in the cave. Remember, Jesus is the safe place to bring your very personal darkness. And he knows and he understands and yet he is also powerful enough to overcome it. I pray you would be delivered of it here. But if not, for every single one of us that are believers This light momentary affliction will pale when we sit at the banqueting table with him. And all that is wrong is made right. As we prepare our hearts for communion, we're going to look forward to that banqueting table here, which is a shadow of the one to come in the future. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church.